My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hi, Sunrise family. This is Pastor James, and I can't be with you this weekend, but I was so excited about sharing this weekend's message with you that I decided to do it via video. But before I do that, I want to share with you about the amazing work God is doing in Cuba. Now, as you know, last Easter, you gave an offering, we together gave an offering to serve the pastors, the missionaries, and the churches of Cuba. So far, we've sent two mission trips there to evangelize with incredible results. And Pastor Israel and I have traveled there to train their pastors and missionaries. Now, needless to say, it's always an exciting trip. The church in Cuba is alive, my friends. It's filled with believers who are passionate about God and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The 40 or so pastors and missionaries we've been training are mostly rural with no formal Bible education, but they love God and they love their churches. They are sold out to the mission of Jesus Christ in their country, and it's always humbling to be with them. On our last night in Cuba, we visited a small church just a few kilometers outside of Sago de Tanamo, where we're based. This little church of 100 people was filled with passion for God, and you could see it on their faces. Although they have very little that this world has to offer, their joy for God outshines any need they have. So friends, please be in prayer for the believers in Cuba. The Castro era is slowly coming to a close, and they're uncertain as to what the future holds. They're worried. Will the new leadership tighten its grip on Christianity, or will it allow it to prosper as it's been able to do the last few years? Will the economy grow so that people will have enough food to eat and places to work? You know, never forget, my friends, how blessed we are to live in the United States. We have so much to be thankful for. And I want to thank you again for allowing us to go to Cuba and equip the church in Cuba. Now, one of the conversations I had in Cuba was about how hard it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ in Cuba. And yet, how easy that makes it to live for him in the midst of discrimination and persecution. Now think about that, because in contrast, you and I here in America, we find it easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet the pressure to compromise is overwhelming at times. In Cuba, if you declare yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then all eyes are on you. It forces you to evaluate every priority in light of conforming to Jesus Christ. But for you and for me, we have so much freedom that it makes it naturally easy to conform to our culture. We can so easily say we're a follower of Christ on Sunday or Saturday and then live like everyone else the other days of the week. But for Cubans, once you say you're a Christian, once you say you're following Jesus, you have to live up to that or you're seen as a fraud. They have so little freedom, but living for Christ actually sets them free. 
And we have so much freedom that it's hard to stay focused on living for Christ. It's rather ironic, don't you think? I mean, consider this with me. In your day-to-day life, are you focused on letting God conform you to the image of Christ? Or do you even know what that would look like? We know the pressure to conform to culture is strong. But what is about the pressure to conform to Christ? Is that significant for us? You know, every day we're faced with decisions about how we will use the freedom that God has given us, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today in this next section of Galatians. So please open back up with me to Galatians 5, verses 13 to 21, page 893 in your chair Bible. But uh, next week we'll wrap this up and finish it with the other part of the freedom. Now let me read it section by section and then we'll see what we can learn from the words that Paul gives us. He begins, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Now, friends, in our world, we define freedom as the ability to do whatever you want. In other words, you're only free when you can be your own boss, right? Uh, In other words, we say, I'm free when I can determine my own sexual expression. I'm the only one that can determine that. Or I'm free when I can determine my own path in life. I'm the only one that can decide that. Or I'm free when I can make all my own decisions apart from anyone else telling me what to do. I'm the only one that can be the decider of my life, right? Well, but is that true freedom? You know, our culture defines freedom as being set free from any constraints, from anyone who tells us what we can or cannot do or be. After all, only we can decide for ourselves. That's what we're taught. But what Paul is saying here is that true freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, but the power to do what you ought, the desire to do what is best for you and for others. If we live like freedom is the ability to just to cast off all restraint and do whatever our bodies, our hearts, our minds want to do, well, then we're going to find ourselves actually enslaved to our lusts and passions. True freedom is about love, not lust. True freedom comes when we learn to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And then we turn around with that love and love others in the same way. Because that's what Jesus said. He said it's the first and it's the second of the commandments of God. So Paul is urging the Galatian believers to not go out and use their newfound freedom in any way that might destroy that love, love of God or others. And when we're acting selfish and trying to get what we want out of life, then we're trampling over anyone who might stand in our way or might slow us down from getting what we want. But when we learn to love, we actually gain a type of freedom that the world doesn't often experience. Our ultimate freedom is expressed by serving other people. Our culture's ultimate freedom is honestly not needing other people or using them to get what you want. Our culture's relationship with people isn't to love them for who they are, but to use them for what they can do for us. But that's not love. That's selfishness. That's not freedom. That's bondage. Paul then goes on to say these words. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Your sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. 
when you let God's Holy Spirit guide and control, you have overcome the need for legalistic rules and regulations, my friends. You don't need an external compass to guide your way. You have the best spiritual compass the world has ever known living right inside of you. Now, we just have to learn to learn to walk in that spirit, to listen to that spirit, to respond to the spirit, and let the spirit's voice be the most compelling voice that we hear. You know, we are free then from guilt and condemnation when we walk in the spirit. When your heart responds to the voice of God's spirit within you, you're going to want to live an emotional, physical, relational, spiritual life of freedom. But following what the Spirit of God desires in you is going to be difficult. And you have to learn to yield your life to God rather than trying to live a life pursuing another set of loves. You know, there is a war going on inside of you each and every day, my friend. It's a battle between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. And we're going to see that walking in the spirit next week. But Paul goes and talk about what walking in the flesh looks like. And he gives a list, a sample of the fruit that you'll bear out of your life if you choose to walk in the flesh. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a long list, right? But Paul's long list of sins of fruit of the flesh fall into four categories. In the first category, there are sexual sins, and he mentions three of them. First of all, sexual morality. Now, in the Greek, it's the word porneia. It's any form of illicit sexual relationship. This is the clearly forbidden sexual behavior that God hates. We get our word pornography from this. Uh, impurity, which means moral uncleanness. Now, that might not involve an actual sexual act, but it's a crudeness or insensitivity in sexual matters. An example would be the excessive use of sexual humor in our world. Lustful pleasures, which is any open or excessive indulgence in sexual sins. The person has no sense of shame or restraint. Paul says those are the sexual sins. Now, the next two sins are religious sins that are mentioned. And the first one is idolatry. It's when we create a substitute for God and treat that person or thing as most important in our lives. It's whatever our supreme love might be, whatever holds the deepest part of our heart. It's sorcery, he says, which is any involvement with the forces of evil. At that time, it involved using potions or poisons to get what you wanted. Now, the, th the next eight sins, uh, it's the next category, they're relational sins. And those are the sins that we have toward other people. Hostility, it's any hatred between you and others. This results in a life of bitterness and hatred toward other people. Quarreling, it's just open competition or rivalry or any kind of bitter conflict you might have with another person. Jealousy is that feeling of resentment when someone else has what you think you deserve. Outbursts of anger. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? The implication here is that of a continual and uncontrolled behavior. Selfish ambition is when your entire approach to life is about getting ahead of other people at other people's expense. It implies a, a like a mercenary, aggressive attitude toward others in the pursuit of your goals. You just stomp on them to get whatever you want. Dissension relates to strong disagreements or quarrels. It describes the person who's always at odds with other people, always fighting. They're always arguing with one another. I mean, you know that on Facebook, right? Someone who's always just dissension. They're just filled with this. They just want to fight you every chance they get. 
Division is created because of fighting. It creates factions and cliques because of the evil desire of always wanting to be right. And then envy. It's the desire to cry out unfair when someone else is awarded a praise, someone is awarded or achieved something. You think that that's not fair and you envy that. Now then finally, Paul wraps it up with two, we'll call ritualistic sins that were very common in his world. And they related to the worship of idols. And the first is drunkenness, which is simply the excessive use, use of alcohol, which was done in those idol parties or wild parties. He says, describe drunken parties filled with sexual promiscuity, often seen in the festivals of pagan gods. Now, notice that Paul adds and other sins like these just to show that his list is not complete. Now, now think about this. He's writing to Christians, to people in church, to you and to me. He says, friends, don't live like that, right? See, freedom for a follower of Jesus Christ is not defined as permission to do anything you want, which is that list, right? You know, sure, your sins are forgiven, but that doesn't mean you can go ahead and just abuse God's grace. After all, true freedom is taking the opportunity to do what God wants in each and every moment without fear that your performance will be counted against you. Yeah, sure, we're free from the old external laws that brought sin and death, but we're now free in the sense that God's spirit controls us. We are under the control of God's Holy Spirit and the restraint of God's higher law. The law of love controls us. Our freedom must be used to glorify God and serve one another not to fulfill our personal lustful desires. Now that's exactly how Paul phrased it in Romans chapter six. He says this, well then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Friends, we live in a world marked by increased tolerance of all types of sin. Churches accept all types of sin. We normalize this behavior. We are increasingly surrounded by temptations and accepted examples of sinful behavior all around us in the media, right? In light of this, it's easy to begin to justify our sin. But our freedom in Christ cannot be used as an excuse to sin. We should resist sin and live in the grace that Jesus provided for our salvation. Now, I want to close with a warning for us today. You know, you and I live in an age when the idea of our identity is being rewritten from the ground up. You know, a higher percentage of young adults uh, don't go to church anymore. And they're saying they have no religious preference. More and more churches are unable to survive in this new environment we live in. It's a much more secular environment than we've ever had. Now, what is going on? Now, if we step back, I believe it relates to the modern idea of identity. I mean, just our, who we are. Now, in past times, there was a basic story, a narrative that helped everybody understand what life was all about. This is how the narrative went. Um, you know, what's most important for you is it you're a good, there's, there's a good moral person. Be that, be that good moral person who lives for God, family, others and the nation and not yourself, right? That just be that. Now with this narrative, it set forth a basic belief system that emerged that everyone had a basic belief in God or something greater than themselves. There were moral truths and we all have to abide by them. There was such a thing as sin and we're all guilty and there's an afterlife. There's something more to this world. Now that old storyline was that you had to be a good moral person and live for God and others. In other words, your calling in life was to live beyond yourself, 
to live for God and for country. Now think about this. For Christians, living in this old world, this old storyline, this narrative, evangelism was simply a matter of what I heard the other day, connecting the dots. It's easy, right? I mean, if everybody you talk to had a basic belief in God, moral truth, sin and guilt, and the afterlife, all you had to do was connect the dots for them. The preaching of the good news was simply just telling people that God loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for their sins and secured him a place in heaven. That was evangelism, right? Connecting the dots that people already had in their heart. But today, you and I live in a new culture, in a new narrative. In this new storyline, what is really important is this. Not that you're to be good, as others define it, but that you're to be free to do what you want. The ultimate goodness is freedom. You're free to be true to yourself. This means that you no longer gain your truth from others, like your parents or the Bible or church, your pastor. And once you've determined who you are, everyone else has to affirm that. They must affirm that. In past times, you would go outside of yourself to determine your identity. But today you go inside and decide who you are and what you want to be. You can't let anyone else tell you who you are. And once you decide who you are, then your supreme value is living true to yourself. In the old narrative, you were a good person if you sacrificed for the interests of your family, for your nation, for your spiritual beliefs, right? But in the new narrative, the, the highest value is that you're only free if you refuse to sacrifice your deepest desires and you assert them in the face of any opposition to your identity. Now, think about this for a moment. This new narrative gets rid of the very meaning of sin. After all, if the meaning of life is not to be good as someone else has defined it, but to be free as only you can define it, then the only real sin is to tell someone they're a sinner. <laughs> the only real redemption we need is to be redeemed from anyone who says we need to be redeemed. Basically, the meaning of life is to be free as you decide that. Now, just an example of some of the statements I've heard, you know, you must be true to yourself, right? You must be free to live any way you want. You have to do what makes you happy. No one has the right to tell you what is right or wrong for you. And only you can determine your standards of right and wrong. That's the new belief, my friends, that we have in our culture. <laughs> and there are no longer any spiritual dots to connect. Now, what if you don't believe in God, in God, God at all? I mean, there's no one greater than yourself, right? What if you don't believe in any moral truths because only you decide for yourself what's right or wrong? What if there's no sin or the only sin is not being true to yourself? And what if the goal of life is to live for today and not for tomorrow? What if the main goal of life is to live for the greater good, which is you, not the greater good of anybody outside of yourself, but to live for yourself and be truly free? One of the reasons the Christian influence, I believe, has been decreasing over the past decades is that we've not figured out how to understand this, how to push back on this new narrative to show its logical fallacies. Uh, take, for example, this. You're a father, you're a mother. You have a son or daughter who comes up to you and says these words. Mom, Dad, I want you to know that I'm having sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, you reply, uh, don't you know what the Bible says about having sex before marriage? And as soon as you do that, their eyes glaze over. Because at the foundation of their being, they have already rejected your old moral narrative. Who cares what you think? Who cares what the Bible thinks? Their freedom is to assert their own identity. This is what I think, and that's all that matters. 
My friends, because several generations of people have bought this lie, this narrative of a new culture that makes anything the Bible say its moral teaching irrelevant, we live in a very fascinating time because all that we're doing at Sunrise is outdated and old-fashioned. It's laughable to try to use our old book on them, right? Well, that's how they see it. We have stood by and watched generation after generation be discipled by the world. And now we wonder why their moral values are no different from the world and why their actions are no different from the world's culture. And my friends, this is happening in the church. Remember, Paul wrote his list to the church. Generations of young people are growing up in churches that no longer see sin as sin, but as their God-given right to explore as they wish. But you and I, we must get back to the heart of God. And that will only happen if we have a revival in our church. Wait, that will only happen if you have a revival in your heart. After all, the only way anyone is going to see Jesus is if they see him in the fruit of your life. You know, we're all in a search for freedom, but true freedom can only be found in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, don't buy the lie that freedom is being set free from any and all constraints. If you walk down that road, you'll find yourself actually enslaved to your lusts and passions and guaranteed you will end up brokenhearted and disillusioned. I've seen it over and over and over again. True freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, but the power to do what you ought, the desire to do what is best for us. True freedom is about love, not lust. True freedom comes when we learn to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Then we turn around and love others with that same love. So are you walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh? If you walk in the flesh, then you'll bear the fruit of the flesh. But by walking in the Spirit, you'll naturally bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we're going to see next week. Let's pray. Father God, um, I, I know this topic can be difficult for our hearts if we've decided that we are the only one who decides. If we in our hearts have this belief that we are the only right and wrong decider of what we want to do, what we want to be, if we've bought the cultural narrative that says we alone determine our goal, our freedom, our desires. God, you've come to set us free because that is a sinful desire even in and of itself. You've come to set us free through Jesus Christ. Um, Father, for those that have bought that cultural generational lie uh, that we throw off all restraints and pursue who we think we are, what we want to be, Father, that'll only lead to pain and brokenness. Save us from that, God. Reveal in our hearts the road we're going down and just the desperate nature of what will happen when we end up at the bottom of that. Father, for those of us who are followers of Christ, moms and dads, you know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, small group leaders, whatever, people that are in shepherding ministry, remind us of love, remind us of caring for people. As Paul, he, he grabbed wayward people who were very far from the heart of God, who were living in all kind of sexual promiscuity, who were pursuing all the passionate lusts of the pagans around him, and he introduced them to Jesus. And that story changed lives 2,000 years ago and every year since, and even today. That narrative, Father, is about you, a God who exists, a God who loves, a God who cares enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for this selfishness that we have, this desire to be nothing but what we want, this sin. So, Father, give us a heart and a passion to share that message, not with condemnation, but with love. In your name we pray. Amen.